I was never really obsessed over testing. I was mostly obsessed over accountability. There are a limited number of research functions that these kinds of test instruments can play. And at this moment, they play almost none of them. Really looking at, you know, what are the hopes and dreams of our stakeholders for the kids of this community? How many kids have we missed out on allowing them to follow their passions? We need to have every student walk across the graduation stage, knowing that they're super smart in something, having a passion, and on the opposite end, making sure that we haven't spent all our time in schools focused entirely on the areas where they're not smart. Welcome to the Page Talks podcast, where we discuss issues critical to the work of professional educators in public education. The Professional Association of Georgia Educators is the state's largest educator membership association and leading advocate for educators in public education. Page is also a valuable resource for member needs through legal representation, legislative services, and professional learning. I'm Craig Harper, Executive Director for Page and the host of the Page Talks podcast. This episode presents information on benefits-based accountability from researcher and author John Tanner, who is the founder and president of Brave Ed, and Cartersville City Schools Superintendent Mark Feuerbach. Page initiated a benefits-based accountability network of school systems in 2018 with the name True Accountability for Georgia Schools, or TAGS. Nine Georgia school districts comprise the membership in TAGS, and Cartersville City Schools is one of the districts that has moved forward with full implementation of this accountability system. John Tanner provides the following description from a recent policy document he published in January 2022. A benefits-based school accountability system is one that lists the benefits students, as well as their parents, expect as a result of the student attending a school and then indicates clearly the effectiveness of a school at delivering them. As with any accountability, a benefits-based accountability is a high-stakes affair with real consequences, both good and bad, for the organization. It is always grounded in evidence and the truth. Done well, it generates real trust between an organization and those the organization exists to serve. The seven foundational pillars of the benefits-based accountability system in Georgia and adopted as the strategic direction for Cartersville City Schools are student achievement, student readiness, engaged, well-rounded students, community engagement and partnerships, professional learning quality staff, fiscal and operational systems, and safety and well-being. After listening to John and Mark describe this framework and how it's changing the conversation about the work of schools and educators, you can read a more in-depth explanation of John's recently published policy document or purchase a new book titled The Accountability Mindset that presents the story of a school learning about and implementing a benefits-based accountability system. You'll find links to all these resources and to Cartersville City Schools in the episode show notes. I hope you'll enjoy our conversation. Welcome, John and Mark, to this episode of Page Talks and to our discussion about benefits-based accountability. Hi, nice to be here. Hey, Greg, thanks for having me. John Tanner has developed this system over a number of years, and from my experience with this, has really gotten much more focused and clear about what a benefits-based accountability system is for and what it does and how districts can adopt it and adapt it in their district. So John, if you don't mind, tell us where we are right now with your thinking and understanding of benefits-based accountability. I I think one of the biggest things that's happened over the last five years is we've just gotten a lot better at at thinking about, talking about, and getting these systems in place. The beauty of this is that uh, we didn't invent any of this. This, These are the systems that we have observed functioning in in lots of, of highly effective organizations of all different kinds 
Uh, and so what that means is, is we can kind of all collaborate on what that ought to look like in a school because we can all observe it in our own ways functioning and then figure out the best way to bring it to schools. And so I think what's happened over the last really two and a half to three years is we've really accelerated that process. So uh, whereas four or five years ago, it would take us you know several years to get a system up and running, uh, we can now get a, a basic system up and running in a couple of months uh, for a school. And I think the other thing that happened, and this I, I kind of joke about a lot, is that uh, it took it took me years to start to see some of these things and learn to talk about them. And, and I think when I started doing this work, when we started doing the work in Georgia, we, we it seemed like we needed to take people through the same process of learning that that I went through to learn it. And that was a really huge pedagogical mistake, but understandable, but we don't do that anymore. Now what we are able to do is get people right into the work in a much more pedagogical way that uh, I think is helpful. I think where we've come really over the last two years is on the old name that tune thing, we used to have to name that tune in 10 notes. And I think we're down to naming it in two or four. And hopefully we'll get even better at that as, as the year goes on. Some of that development happened, I'm proud to say, in Georgia with our true accountability for Georgia schools or TAGs, as we call it. And one of the pilot districts that got on board with that was Cartersville City Schools and Superintendent Mark Fuhrbach. Mark, what for you was the attraction of TAGs or the, the benefits-based accountability model compared to what you have been doing? Yeah, well, to be truthful, and I, John probably wouldn't like me saying it, it wasn't very attractive at first. And so let me finish staring out, you know, what I want to say in that statement, because it sounds like, oh my goodness, what does that mean? But, you know, when I first heard about it, I was thankful for the opportunity to learn more, but I, I couldn't help but think this was just a way for us to find something good to show in case our test scores were bad. That's just kind of how I, what I thought without knowing anything. And so when I sat at the table and began to learn, I realized that that's not what this is about. And, and, and understanding what benefits-based accountability was really opened my eyes to, you know, this really is about the stakeholder. It's really about the community. It's really about those involved in our organization. And so, no, it's not about hiding maybe bad test scores, but it is about, number one, focusing on all areas that we are held accountable for, should be held accountable for by our stakeholders, and really looking at those and how we can grow in those areas and highlighting the areas that are great and highlighting the areas that are not so great that we need to continue to work on. And if your test scores are great, wonderful. It's just one of many things that should be discussed. And if they're not great, Wonderful. It's one of, not wonderful, but you know what I mean. It's one of many things that maybe we need to look at. So as I began to dive deeper, I just felt like it was a more holistic approach to what we what we do in school and what we're held accountable for. So John, the big change in this is most all public school in particular accountability systems are based on test scores. They're, they're using a very specific kind of metric. And as you began teaching us in the TAGS group about what's now known as benefits-based accountability, it was not to bash tests or to say tests have no purpose, but it was to go beyond tests. So if you don't mind explaining a little bit about where you started developing this system and your understanding of what tests tell us and what they don't. There's a lot in there. So my background's testing. That's where I spent most of my early career. And so I know that world pretty well. And but it was interesting because I didn't get into testing because I like testing. I, I was interested in accountability and I knew, you know, even 25, 30 years ago that testing was going to be the primary vehicle that schools would try to do accountability through. 
And so that created a bit of an interesting perspective because I was never really obsessed over testing. I was mostly obsessed over accountability and thinking, how can we make accountability into a discipline, into a science, into something that we study and, and improve? And what I quickly realized was that testing in and of itself was a research instrument designed for a very narrow and specific set of purposes. And it was never designed to be used as a social decision-making tool. That is, uh, it was never designed to be something that we could, where we could produce a score and pass a judgment directly off of that score. Either a high score, you're, a great, uh, you're in a great school, a low score, you're in a terrible school. Those, those judgments simply are not there to, to, to be made. And the design of these instruments is such that it requires tremendous expertise to build them. A big part of applying that expertise is to weed out any capacity to use these instruments as a social decision-making tool. In other words, we eliminate the opportunity to make specific instructional inferences, and yet that's the primary use of them in a great many states. We eliminate the ability to use them to pass judgment at any particular point along a continuum, and that's exactly what the requirements now uh, suggest that we do. And it goes on and on and on. And so you have a legitimate research tool that is used in deeply inappropriate ways. And so part of what we advocate for is not the elimination of testing, not the, uh, we don't find it helpful to badmouth it. What we do find helpful to do is to say there are a limited number of research functions that these kinds of test instruments can play. And at this moment, they play almost none of them. They play a whole bunch of roles that they were never designed to play. And that leads us uh, in some very awkward and bad directions. It, it, it leaves us without the full truth of what's happening in our schools. But because they have the weight of accountability tied to them, we almost have no choice but to act as if they're true. And that makes our systems less effective, not more effective. It would be helpful to have better tests, but we could have the very best test in the world as long as we have the, the accountability environment that we do. Uh, it's it's going to have the exact same effect as the, the tests that we have at the moment. So getting beyond those test scores and really, as Mark, as you said, letting our stakeholders know exactly what we're doing in, in schools and how we're doing in relation to those expectations the community has for us, what kind of elements are you all building your accountability system around with, with benefits-based accountability versus the what the state is doing with test-based accountability? Yeah, so... You know, we have our test scores. I mean, COVID's kind of messed everything up, but CCRPI and all that. But frankly, a lot of people just, they don't understand what it all means. We might inside of our, our own schools, but communicating that out, people can get very confused about everything that goes into that. And so working with John several years ago, and I know it's it's similar in other states, you, know, you just kind of land at what are those main topics that you want to focus on and what are we held accountable for? And so the seven that we use it, we say it's our strategic direction again, and it's very similar in other states who are, who are using a similar model. And frankly, you know, you, you read these and you say these to somebody and it's like, well, yeah, that's what we do. Student achievement, student readiness, uh, engage well-rounded students, community engagement and partnerships, professional learning and a quality staff, uh, fiscal and operational systems and safety and well-being. I mean, if you think about what we do every day from bringing kids to school in a timely manner, in a safe manner, to providing them meals and an education and keeping them safe throughout the day, getting them home in a safe manner, providing extracurricular activities, communicating with parents, making sure that we're within budget, all of these things we do daily and we're held accountable for them. And so that's where we kind of claimed that these are the areas that we're going to focus on. So if someone says, what's your direction? Well, this is our direction. All of it is not just to make sure that we raise this score from this to this, 
although that is one of the things that is in it. We, we take those, those strategic directions that we are focused on all of them, but reality is we only have capacity to do so much at a given time. And so each school then looks at where they are in accordance of those areas. There are several indicators or elements, if you will, under each one. And so we begin to look at how are we, how are we doing as a school? And then we look at, okay, well, which areas do we need to focus on this year? And how long is it going to take us to get there? What do we predict it's going to take us? Three months, six months, 12 months? And it's just a, a different way of communicating that to our stakeholders. And so if you went to our website, that's what you would see. You would see someone said, what is your strategic direction or what do you focus on as a system? I would share those seven areas that I just shared with you. Then we go to the school level and we begin to break down. You know, we, we will look at about 27 elements that make up those seven areas. And we're going to grade ourselves, for lack of better words, of where we are. Which areas do we need to give focus to right now? Which areas are, are we kind of doing okay? And then from there, those areas that we're really focused on, that is now developing to our yearly school improvement plan where we are, are monitoring that. We're monitoring all of it regularly but we're really zoning in on on those specific areas. How difficult was it to bring along your board of education or your school staff across classroom up through administration and and your community to grasp what you were trying to do with this and, and accept where you were going? Or have they? I wouldn't say it was difficult to bring people on board. I think that the challenging part at the beginning was really articulating it, articulating, uh, hey, this is this is where, what we're looking at. This is the way we'd like to go. And okay, well, because I hate to say this, it's easier to do it the other way. It just is. It's easier to measure how a student does on a test and where they were in August to May and did we grow and, and use kind of that and that's it. But how are you also measuring to make sure that your bathrooms are clean on a regular basis or your cafeteria food is, is, is quality food or, or any, any program for that matter that, it, that it's doing, do, doing a, a good job. And so, you know, I know John early on talked about hopes and dreams and we, we started off, you know, early with that, just really looking at, you know, what are the hopes and dreams of our stakeholders for the kids of this community, for the children of our system? And that really allowed us to begin to really look at everything that we're doing. And we do so much more than just teach kids how to read and, and teach kids how to do basic math. And so once we began to really kind of explain things, we started with our administrators and our school board explaining what was going on with our leadership team as well. Then we would take little parts of it and explain it. We kick it off a system-wide meeting and you have to understand, too, we are a smaller system. Uh, you know, we only have 4,600 students. So we can kind of bring more folks together that, that cover all of our schools. And then just becoming part of who we are. It took us all of two plus years, I would say two, maybe closer to three, to, to really get things rolling. Our school board is completely on board with it because our school board, and I think they're a perfect example, a school board does not get phone calls of concerns all the time about test scores. Where they do get concerned calls about the bus was late or my student, I don't think they're they're getting this or getting that, whatever this or that may be. And if you ask school board members, they're not always getting calls about test scores. It that might be one of the calls they're getting. And if you look at it from that lens, you really realize all that we're held accountable for. And so our school board from the beginning has been very supportive of this and really challenged me to really begin to look at our organization this way. And so it's it's really been a great thing. We do know, though, that we have a lot of work still to do of, of just revisiting it and educating and re-educating folks. Next year for our new teacher orientation, this will be a segment of new teacher orientation so that we are inducting our new folks with all of this 
And then throughout the year, we, we're talking about actually having some check-in points with anybody who wants to come, a, a teacher, a parent, anybody in the community, just where we go over the basic ABCs of, of benefits-based accountability and what it means and how we're utilizing it as, as an organization. So John, Mark alluded to this. So benefits-based accountability is not an easy out. It's not a way to run away from anything. It actually is more comprehensive and more holistic, as he said, to, to really demonstrate to a community and stakeholders what all a, a school district and a school is doing. Because in education, we touch so much of a community and it's, a, it's about a whole lot more than just academic content. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's a much higher accountability than than anything that there is right now, and a much more truthful one. But it's only when you have the truth that you can get better and you can improve. And the interpretations are certainly going to be more complex because schools are complex organizations. I mean, you think about a school system that, say, is graduating 85% of its kids right now. In almost every state, that school, that high school, is going to get a failing mark from the state for what they're doing for kids. And the problem with that is it's that's a false mark because if you go into that school, you're going to see something more complex. I just visited a school in Mississippi that had 83% graduation rate. But what they can show is that about 75% of the kids in that building come into the high school with a very high risk of not graduating. And the amount of effort that that school goes through in order to move those kids across the graduation stage is quite remarkable. And so the true story, the story that will allow that high school to be on a continuous improvement path is to tell the truth, you've got uh, some, about a quarter of your kids are going to graduate no matter the high school they go to. That the high school is not going to have anything to do with that. You could lose all the teachers the last couple of months of the year, and those kids are still going to graduate given their parents and, and the, the emphasis on education. But for those considerable number of kids who wouldn't, you're graduating a significant number of those. That is fabulous news. Don't stop doing the things that you're doing to create that. But you're also missing 17% of your kids. And what can you do to start to recover some of those kids and bring those kids along? Probably not the things you're doing for the kids who are graduating. And so that requires a very thoughtful conversation so that you have the truth and can get better. What will cause the school to become worse is to call them a failure and tell them to change everything because now they're at risk of changing things that are working. Even worse, is to take the school that has 100% graduation rate year in and year out and say, there's your model. Well, that doesn't make any sense because if the school is graduating all the kids in spite of itself because of who happens to be in that school or that neighborhood, that school doesn't know how to educate kids who come from a really high-risk background. That's the worst model you could possibly set up to try to help kids. And so if we don't have the truth, we're we're in trouble. And what Mark was talking about was when you have the truth at the right level, then you are able to go into a continuous improvement mode in a way that everybody can understand. Your stakeholders can understand, your board can understand, your high school seniors can understand, everybody can understand and have the truth and partner in order to focus on the schools and the kids and, and making the whole system better. Mark also mentioned hopes and dreams process, or at least some focus on that. And then there's another tool that you use sometimes to help people understand why benefits-based accountability makes more sense, and that's the smartness profile. So talk to us a, a, just a little bit about what the, the hopes and dreams conversation causes to happen, how do that changes our understanding of what school's about, and then also how the smartness profile can help somebody understand their own experience in school. 
One of the things that if you look at any profession or any professional organization, they exist and, and define their existence through a finite set of benefits that their stakeholders expect through whatever relationship it is that the stakeholders will have with the organization. We all have that experience with doctors. We, I'm not a doctor and I don't know anything about you know, the, the details of an MRI or an X-ray or so on, but I can go to the doctor and use very unsophisticated language. I can say my knee hurts or I have a headache or I think I might need new glasses. And these are all extraordinarily non-technical statements, but they represent the benefits that I expect by going to the doctor. The, the doctor doesn't take an X-ray and throw it at me and say, you figure it out. The doctor says, I understand in your very non-technical language what's necessary. I'm going to apply my technical lens and I'm going to come back to you and we're going to communicate in these non-technical ways that we can all understand and that will be equally meaningful uh, to all of us. That's the power of benefit. And the very best way for us to get at the idea of benefit in schools is to sit down with a group of parents or a group of students and ask them about their hopes and dreams. Because if we ask them, well, what do you expect out of schooling? That's a technical question. And someone who didn't have a good experience in education is gonna have a difficult time articulating what they didn't get and what they might want for their children. Or we say, what do you wanna see in our measures? Or what do you want to see in our technical information? Again, those are, those are unfair questions. They're, they're disrespectful questions because we're basically asking someone else to become an instant professional, which they, they, they can't do. And what the hopes and dreams language does is it keeps us all on the same page. And what I also find remarkable about the hopes and dreams language is that there's almost no difference between any two parents. Politics right now are ugly and ridiculous. There's no difference between people who uh, declare themselves to be of one political party or another, a rich or poor, urban, suburban, gender, race. It's remarkable the way that we, sh we have a, a common set of hopes and dreams that we expect for our children. And Mark alluded to them. We want all kids to have a good academic foundation. We want them to be able to go deep. We want them to be interested. We want them to be safe. We want them, uh, we want to have adults who care about them in their lives. There's not a surprise in, in any of those, but the hopes and dreams language is a deeply empowering set of words because we can sit down with any of our stakeholders and talk about these things. And they will mean the same thing to the stakeholder as they do to us. And what that enables us to do is to make sure that our priorities and our stakeholders' priorities are aligned because Mark can take the benefits list that they have and put it in front of a set of stakeholders and ask them where that set of stakeholders believes the schools need to make a change. And that's pretty empowering because Mark and then go look and his team can then go look at that and see if the work that they're doing aligns with stakeholder need. I mean, that's really amazing when you think about how someone who is non-technical at all can have a deep understanding of what's going on inside of a technical organization. That's, that's the power of hopes and dreams uh, and benefits. The smartest profile is a, a different tool. The smartest profile really helps us to understand a major or primary purpose of what we do in education. One of those benefits is always we need you to get these kids ready for life after school. And as we've explored that benefit over the years, we came up with the, this, this tool called the Smartness Profile, because what we realized is that the state accountability systems had come to define readiness by saying you have to have a minimal amount of literacy and a minimal amount of numeracy, and uh, you should be fine in life. And the research on that is crystal clear that that's just completely false. 
and you look at the research by uh, Ken Robinson and by the multiple intelligences people, and they've been able to, I think, prove pretty effectively that, that that is not the formula for what it takes to be a successful adult. That formula, it turns out, is that every successful adult is really smart at a handful of things at best. They're sort of smart where they need to be, and the rest is they're not really, frankly, uh, capable of doing a whole lot. And, and that's not a recipe for failure. That's the recipe of what a successful adult is. A successful adult is also deeply passionate about generally one or more areas of those smartnesses so that it allows them to scale that. It allows them to learn new things, to have additional successes. And they are almost always deeply bored by the area in which they are least smart. And pedagogically, that tells us that if we want to create successful adults, we need to have every student walk across the graduation stage, knowing that they're super smart in something, having a passion, and on the opposite end, making sure that we haven't spent all our time in schools focused entirely on the areas where they're not smart so that they feel dumb or stupid or like they can't accomplish anything when, when that would be uh, false. Finally, on the smartness profile, we like to ask, where did this smartness first uh, crop up as something that was going to define you as a person? And here's the remarkable thing. A lot of us can say, well, that came from home or family or my neighborhood or community, but there are an enormous number of our children who aren't going to get access to that profile if we don't get it to them in schools. They aren't going to get the chance to have it outside of schools. And so if we allow the current accountability system to drive all our actions and say, you, you don't seem very smart in reading or math, and so we're gonna spend all our time on reading and math and deny you the opportunity to have access to that profile through schools, maybe they'll get it at home, but for a lot of our kids, they won't get it at all. And that would be a shame to then deny them the formula for being a successful adult by which we became successful adults. It doesn't make any sense that we would look at children and say, well, it worked for us, but we're, we're going to deny that to you. So the smartness profile is, I think, a really effective tool for just reminding us of how we became successful adults so that that serves as a, an additional reminder for what we owe to these kids that walk into our buildings. I've always been amazed when I've seen the smartness profile done live in some of the meetings that we've done, how easily people then grasp that what brings them joy or success in life often has nothing to do with the academic work that they've done. Even though they may be in an academic position in a school district or in, in the community, uh, but it's all those other things that they can pursue, whether it's the arts or athletics or music or whatever it may be that's what really fills out your life, not just the academic content that we focus on so much. Mark, when you've done the hopes and dreams conversations or some of these conversations with your stakeholders, what kind of things have been obvious to you or your school administration team? Definitely pre-COVID, we had some rather large gatherings where we talked about hopes and dreams. And then we did, once COVID hit, we did it, you know, via survey and things like, like that. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest things that we saw was that not one time did someone say, man, I, I hope my kid just kills it this test coming up. Now, are they concerned about academics? Yeah, they want their kid to be successful. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what people want is they care about the, the success of their kid today, but they really hope, and, and community members at large, they hope that these children find success 20 and 30 years from now. That is the hopes and dreams. I know that we People want their kid to make this team or to do this or to do that. But at the end of the day, collectively, what people want is to know that what we're doing today 
positively impacts lives and communities 20, 30, 40 years down the road. And that's the one thing that really came to light for me. Doing the smartness profile, I'll tell you, that is one of the most genius things that you can do with, with a group. And it's just a, it's, it's a big eye-opening experience when you really look at that. And I think you talked about it, Craig, after John discussed it, like, is it really, is it an academic issue? Is it a passion issue? Uh, you know, what is it? And, you know, when we do that, I, I, I follow up by then saying, how many kids have we missed out on allowing them to follow their passions and, and really building up their passions because we only focus on these areas where they are weak. And it's not that we should ignore those areas that they're weak. Uh, we need to make sure that, that, they, uh, that we improve those areas of weakness. But man, do we need to find a way to bring them into these passions that they have and allow them to further grow in those areas. Because the reality is that's how we, we all are. Like we're not really good at things we're not very passionate about. Um, and that's just the truth. So uh, both those activities have proven to be really, really good when using them and talking through this work. John, what would you say is the major learning for you over the past three to five years from where you were to now because of all the work you've done across so many states and districts and getting clear about benefits-based accountability? I think the most remarkable learning is just how incredibly empowering benefits-based accountabilities are for creating a partnership between stakeholders and organizations to where the stakeholder is cheering and rooting for the success of the organization and the organization is cheering and rooting for the success of the stakeholder. That's the healthiest relationship that organizations and stakeholders have. And in schools, we haven't had that for a long time for a lot of different reasons. We have some incredible dynamics, such as fewer and fewer taxpayers uh, are have children in schools uh, over the years, and that's going to that trend's going to continue. We need the partnership with taxpayers who don't have kids in schools because they're going to fund schools going forward, and they need to feel that they are a partner in this this effort. We have more and more kids coming to schools from more diverse backgrounds who don't speak English, who will continue to struggle mightily if we aren't able to create the right kinds of partnerships with their parents and the, the adults in their lives. So I think that the biggest and most amazing thing to me is just how empowering these systems can be to create that partnership between stakeholders who may not have had a very good experience in education, but care deeply for children in their communities and, and the communities uh, themselves. And I think along those lines, once you build that partnership, it becomes impossible to stigmatize the schools and the communities of the neighborhood. The research is incredible that says that the more you stigmatize a school, the more you stigmatize a neighborhood, the more you impact the lifelong earning potential for every child that comes from that neighborhood. And the more that we can create these partnerships, the less that stigmatization can occur. And I think that's an enormously important step that communities take when they they go to this kind of work, because to the degree that we could rid some of our most challenging environments of that stigmatizing attitude or label, we are literally helping those kids escape some of the generational poverty, at least to some degree, that we've all been working on, working to get rid of for so many years. So I, I just, it's just such a practical approach to incredibly difficult problems that creates empowerment and helps communities and kids. I, I just, I think that's been my biggest and, and really most rewarding aha was just how effectively this is as a tool to, to support that kind of effort. 
So, Mark, where do you see benefits-based accountability going in the coming months and years in Cartersville City Schools? Yeah, Craig, I just see us continuing to grow in it. You know, this is the first year where we rolled it out. It is our school improvement process, and we definitely have some learning to do throughout the process. It's not easy because it's different than what we've ever done, but I see it continuing just to grow and to guide our efforts and to be our our full-fledged system that we use or processes that we use in regards to continuous improvement. It'll be a part of our cognitive review coming up in a few weeks. I think that, you know, we are a charter system. And so I think when charter renewal comes up, it'll be a major component of our charter renewal process. And so it's here, it's here to stay and just continue to look forward to utilizing it as we continue to improve. Thank you, John and Mark, for joining me to talk about the development of benefits-based accountability in Georgia and nationally and its implementation in Cartersville. I appreciate the conversation. Thanks a lot, Craig. Thank you, Craig. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Page Talks podcast and to my guests, John Tanner of Brave Ed and facilitator for true accountability for Georgia schools and Mark Fierbach, superintendent of Cartersville City Schools. Please remember to check out the resources provided in the show notes to learn more about benefits-based accountability. I encourage you to become a regular Page Talks listener by subscribing on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms. Learn more about the Professional Association of Georgia Educators on our website. If you're a Georgia educator and aren't already a PAGE member, consider joining us today. I've been your host, Craig Harper. Goodbye until next time.